welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of our artist spotlight on Weird Al Yankovic, where Al and I will be curating side A of a mixtape featuring the parodies of the greatest musical humorist in pop music history. And that is correct. I mean, he, yeah, I, I know so many people who scoff when I say that I'm a fan of Weird Al Yankovic, you know? And I just don't get it. I mean, I am unapologetically a fan of Weirdo Yankovic. I think he's a genius. And in fact, he is a genius. This is somebody who graduated high school as, uh, at age 16. He was the class valedictorian, uh, has a degree in architecture. You know, I, he just, he is, he's like an encyclopedic uh, mind of pop culture and, and always right in touch with what's in the zeitgeist. I mean, he, he just... I, as far as I'm concerned, he can do no wrong. I mean, he and and he's a chameleon. He goes in and out of all the various musical genres. He's able to sound like everyone he parodies. It's truly amazing what he does. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with a 45-year career in music. Right. 14 studio albums. Yep. 46 singles. 54 music videos. Over 12 million records sold. Five Grammy wins out of 11 nominations. And over twenty million dollars earned. So, those are creden- those are great credentials for any pop star. Absolutely. And people are shocked, but he's been ex- he's extremely successful as a musical artist. Yes, and he's he's a, he's just he has a canny knowledge of of the business world. I mean, he has a formula that works for him, and he's never deviated from it. Um, he's also how many artists can say this? He has had a top. 40 hit in every decade for the last 40 years. Yeah, a few, but not many. Not many, many. but he's had one uh, every decade since the 80s. Um, Yeah, he needs to be inducted into the Rock Hall. I I bring up the Rock Hall and the snubs all the time on the podcast. I know I do, but this is one that I think he will make it eventually, but it's going to take a while. I, I think that the Rock Hall and their snobbery just still don't recognize Al is the artist that he is. But I think that's changing. At least I hope it is. Well, last season, uh, we recorded our first artist spotlight featuring Billy Joel. And we established that the uh, the Gen X mixtape artist spotlight, um, the episodes are not career-spanning histories of an artist, right? Rather, we create a mixtape based on a sub-theme for that artist. So for Billy Joel, it was a mixtape of the best deep tracks that the piano man had to offer. So with Weird Al, although he has written and recorded a plethora of smart, hilarious originals, we will be focusing on the brilliant parodies he's created of other hit songs over the past half century. Yeah, I uh, originally you and I had talked about including everything. We, we just kind of going to open it up. It, that's just too unwieldy. I mean... We could do two podcasts, one for the originals, one for the parodies easily, probably two for each of those particular topics. And and yeah, limiting it to the parodies just, it made a whole lot more sense to me. Um, Of course, I don't know, do we put the originals that he's parodying on our alternates list this time? Say that again, the originals that he's parodying, oh... The original songs that he has. Oh, I see what you're saying on yeah. the on the playlist on Spotify. Yeah, on, yeah. Oh, we could. Yeah. It, it would make sense. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that our listeners know or remember right. all, all the songs that, that, that we're going to be using here. Um, such would be the case for my first selection. We, we ready to go? Yeah. Well, I just want a few oh, things here yeah. just before we we go. Um, 
and we've, we've kind of hinted, if you've listened to all of our past broadcasts, we've said a few of these things back and forth. But if you're just tuning in for this one, I just kind of want to set some foundation for oh, the career yes. of Weird Al in the sense that parody and satire is protected under the fair use clause of the First Amendment. So Weird Al technically never really needs consent of the artist to record one of the parodies. Now, fair use is a defensible position, so he could get sued, like Family Guy gets sued all the time. Right. But they win all their lawsuits because, you know, it's protected under the First Amendment. But um, he has the um, the respect of the artist in mind when he always attempts to and always gets uh, some type of confirmation. For a while there, he tried to get approval from the, you know, the record company or the people that own the publishing rights. Um, a lot of times, though, the artist wasn't aware of that, and, and, and they would come out visibly upset. We can t- maybe talk about Coolio at some yeah, point. Yeah, it's coming up online. Um, so well, he always makes an attempt to actually talk to the artists themselves and get permission, and sometimes he's gone to interesting lengths to, to make that happen. Yes, which he has. There's some good stories there. <laughs> yes, there are. But it's this professional courtesy to try to, to, get, um, to get approval. And most original artists feel that a Weird Al parody is the utmost compliment. For, for whatever reason, people just assume that the artist is going to be bothered by the parody, but that's usually not the case. Um, you know, now some have declined, you know, due to the subject of the parody. I think we mentioned a few weeks ago, Sir Paul McCartney refused to allow live and let die to become chicken, chicken pot pie. pie. Right. But that makes sense because of his very vegetarian beliefs. Um, and a few artists like Prince have just flat out refused. And, you know, that's fine. <laughs> that's the right. And so, you know, Weird Al, I, I really respect that. Um, in an age of, of shock jocks and, and people just tearing other people to the ground for, for fame or for money, for notoriety, um, this isn't Weird Al's persona. No. He likes to have fun. He's looking for artists that are willing to l- allow him to have fun with their music. Um, but he's not doing it to the detriment of, of the others of the other artists. So, um, yeah. So in addition to the fact that he is a genius, as you mentioned, I have uh, utmost respect for him as an artist as well. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to say that, that the only criteria I had other than the fact that we established all parodies is that I have chosen mine in chronological order. As have I. Because there is such an evolution. Uh, he's always been brilliant, but you can really see um, how he's gone from the, the very first, uh, in actually late 70s, all the way up to uh, almost current time. I think the most recent thing he released was the Hamilton, uh, Hamilton Polka. Right, yeah. Uh, the last album, I believe, was... 2014. 2014 was the last album. Right. And, I, and I believe, uh, I did a little bit of reading this week, he may you know, forego making albums from here on out. Yes, I've, he, I've read that as well. You know, Obviously, the music business has changed. He's no longer under a record contract. And so I think he feels that he will just create what he wants to create and release it when he wants to release it. Actually, you know, I think the last single that he would add, I don't think Hamilton was it. Okay. Because he... He auto-tuned, if I if I recall, the Biden and Trump debate. Oh, okay. And created a oh yes, a, yeah, 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 a yes, single yes. from that. I don't know that right. it was released as a single, but the video was viral. Right. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of heartbreaking to me that you know no no more albums may be coming. Well, um, but he may he may create an album and just may. release it on his own. Absolutely, it's nice in this day and age because you can forego a record company. Um, record companies obviously are great for promotion. He doesn't need promotion. True. Um, he's an established artist, so from the vehicles he already has established with his own websites and his own YouTube channel and so forth, he can just release what he wants to release, and it's going to basically go viral. So yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Um, okay, all right. So yeah, I, I went chronologically as well. Um, I have nothing from his first album. 
although I do on my alternates list. Okay. Um, and I have to think that you and I both are probably going to be hitting our alternates list. I mean, it's it's very. I only picked four. You only picked four. Uh, I only okay. picked four of my alternates. Okay, list. well, I have my my standard six, um, but I, I can't. I have to think that you and I are going to match on some of these. Picks. I don't know. There are so many. There, the well, there are. That's true. Well, we'll see how it goes. But for my first pick, I, I mentioned earlier that our our listeners may not remember some of the songs uh, that that Al is parodying, and this would be a good example. Okay. Um, do you remember the Greg Kinn Band's 1983 hit Jeopardy? We have a match. We have it. There we go. But that's my third pick. Oh, is it? So I have two earlier. So, okay. Picks, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I, for those that may not remember, it reached number two on the Hot 100, and it was all over the place that year. And at the time that Greg Kinn was dueling with Michael Jackson on the charts, Jeopardy had actually been off the air for four years. We're talking about the TV show. Actually, I, th- I thought it was more. I thought the original run was 1964 to 1975. Well, that's true. But it, well, it kind of depends on your age, because I don't know how many of our listeners even are aware of this, but, um, well, let's take a step back. Um, I Lost on Jeopardy is, is, it's like the ideal parody, right? It, it shares a key word and idea along with a melody uh, with the song that inspired it. Um, but Alice Craft is readily apparent nonetheless. It, it's an inspired, pitch-perfect, and eminently quotable tribute to a game show that wouldn't reach its peak of power, prestige, and popularity until it was brought back to life later in the decade with the mustached Canadian named Alex Trebek as host, right? So depending on your age, folks, you may not know that there was a time when the show was hosted by the outrageously clean-shaven Art Fleming, and it was canceled not once but twice. First in 1975 after an 11-year run, and then again in 1979 after the all-new Jeopardy lasted only a single season. Okay, so there was a... a Right, yeah, there was a one-season return that just, it, it bombed. Um, so, yeah, it, it was canceled in 79, and, of course, in 3D came out in 84. Um, so, well, it, it was four years, closer to five years, I right. guess. But, um, yeah, the, the Jeopardy that our listeners almost assuredly think of today is actually the third iteration of the show. Which always confused me from the video, because I didn't know of the original Jeopardy. Right. And the revival happened right after the song. In fact, a lot of people thought that the song inspired it, which it didn't because it was already in the works. It didn't, but I'm, I'm going to give them credit for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember watching the video thinking, because by, by the time this was a single and the video came out, the revival of the show had come out. And so I remember being confused because I was used to the video screens and, of course, Alex Trebek. And in the video for the Weird Al um, parody, it's the Art Fleming version. Right. And so you see the, the older set with the cardboard slide out questions. And I just didn't understand. I'm like, well, why did they change the entire set of Jeopardy? Well, now I right. know. Yeah. Well, and, and two, you know, Jeopardy, for having been off the air for four years, it was so ingrained in popular culture because all the references in, in the song, the, the potpourri category, the daily double, I his audience were well aware uh, of you know, those particular uh, subjects and, and ideas that came from the game show. So it had been gone for a while, but it had been around for a longer while. Right. Um, but yeah, the Alex Trebek hosted syndicated show, it, it actually debuted September 10th, 1984. And that was the same year that in 3D was released. And, and it was only a few months after the release of I Lost on Jeopardy. 
I don't know that I actually named the song. I lost you did. on you Je- mentioned did it. I? Yeah, okay. you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, I lost on Jeopardy is the parody. Um, so, yeah, it came out a few months after the single and the music video. The music video actually featured appearances from Dr. Demento, Don Pardo, and Greg Kinn, whose band, again, recorded the smash hit that I was parodying here. Um, now, speaking of Jeopardy, we have to just throw this out. We, we recently, very sadly, lost Alex Trebek. He passed away last year following a long battle with pancreatic cancer. But the show looks to continue on. So all of this is to say that among Al's many talents is necromancy. I'm going to give the man credit. I'd like to think that he single-handedly raised the show from the dead with this song. I know he didn't. Right. But, but I'm going to run with it, okay? Um, so, yeah, like Greg Kinn's original, there's that hypnotic disco funk groove. It's combined with a sinister uh, superstition-style synthesizer and, and a scrappy, ominous guitar while Al sings darkly of, of matching intellects on national TV against a plumber and an architect, both with a PhD. Plumber with a PhD is the perfect dad joke, right? And and I'm going to talk dad jokes a lot on this particular episode because that that's that's Al's ouvoir, if you will. Um, but the reference to the architect is a brainy profession. That again, I think I said this in our intro. That's a nod to Al's college days. I mean, being the pragmatic soul that he was, he got a degree in architecture, just in case uh, his dream of becoming a best-selling and much-loved pop parodist proved impossible. But what really makes this song, I mean, we're talking about the MVP here, is the guest appearance by longtime announcer Don Pardo. Yeah, and I was going to say, this is the this is the first moment of sheer genius from Weird Al. Yes, absolutely. Prior to this time, some very, some highlights, of course, I'm going to talk about two of those. But this, Don Pardo... Yeah, oh, it's... Uh, it's if, if you were an avid game show watcher, like I was in the late 70s I and early too. 80s, yeah. um, this little monologue hits so many... <laughs> It really does. So many of what made game shows great during that time. Yeah, he, he brutally belittles Al for losing. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he tears into the material. I mean, you're talking about an SNL. Uh, I don't want to say he's an alum, but, you know, he, he had been on SNL. Well, he was. I well, mean, yeah. And I mean, he was, well, Don Pardo was the original announcer on the original on Jeopardy the, as well. Yes, I, yeah, he did of course, a number we, of game you know, shows. Gen Xer, Xers know him from Saturday Night Live. Right. Um, but yeah, he just tears into that material. I mean, not only is he making fun of Al, but he also takes a sadistic glee, right, in, in naming all of the popular but worthless prizes yes. that were commonly given to Jeopardy contestants. Yes. Which is 
turtle wax and rice aroni. A year supply of rice <laughs> yes. aroni. And a copy of the Jeopardy home game. Right, and Al right. will not be receiving any because he disgraces his family's name for generations to come. That's right, Al. You lost. And let me tell you what you didn't win. A 20-volume set of the Encyclopedia International, a case of turtle wax, and a year's supply of rice the San Francisco treat. But that's not all. You also made yourself look like a jerk in front of millions of people. And you brought shame and disgrace on your family name for generations to come. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. To me, this is the first of his parodies that was just perfect. Yep, I agree. Just perfect. I agree. And, you know, I, I skipped right over, and I'm probably going to hell for this. I skipped right over Eat It. Um, it's, um, I mean, you can't, you can't underestimate the value of Eat It. But for my money in 3D, that, that first breakthrough album, not the first album, but the one that really made him a star... I lost on Jeopardy is is the way to go. Yep. So and, and the video, and we'll talk about the videos. Uh, not in all cases, but in many cases, he also does a shot for shot remake of the video. Yes. Okay. So in this case, obviously, it wasn't a shot for shot because he's focused on the Jeopardy theme. But there are elements of the original video. For for instance, in the end of the original, the original was kind of a B movie horror. It really was kind and of thing. The creature that comes out and grabs <laughs> right. Greg. Can I? Was it made out of sheets? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I should have looked. I, I should have rewatched the videos that he's parodying, right. um, which I did not do in the last week. Although I watched all of Al's videos, but yeah, I vaguely remember Greg Kenny's in the church, and I think it was just like a like a twisted sheet that comes and grabs him and starts pulling out of the Yeah, shirt. I don't I thought I remember like tentacles or big like I, I don't know. But either it was, way, it was if, bizarre. If, if my memory serves me correctly, because I did not go back and watch um, um, the videos. Um, in, in this case, Greg Kinn is driving the car. Yep. And um, the license plate says, says loser, I think, because he's lost on Jeopardy. Does it really? Yeah, and, and he drives off. So I just remember that. Okay. I don't remember what the license plate said in the original oh, video. Oh, oh, I thought you said Greg Kinn said loser. No, I'm sorry. The oh, license okay. plate of the car said loser because I know they focus on the license plate in the original video. Okay, I, okay. Just, again, I should have gone back and watched it. I just remember those keys. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. No, that's yeah. right. No, Al says loser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking, for whatever reason, you were right. saying that Kins did as well. Um, yeah, oh, I, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the Greg Kin video. I can't remember it well enough. So, but there we go. Right. First match right Guess out the I'm gate. Going to my alterns list already. Uh, but I am going to go. I'm going to go back and you know continue going chronological. Okay. Because yep. my first song, I want to kind of establish a baseline, like I said, for for the evolution of Weird Al. Okay. And just we're not going to spend a lot of time on history, but. You know, Weird Al, as he was, you mentioned, was a college student, um, architecture and so forth. He uh, was an accomplished accordion player. Yes, he was. Uh, in fact, he, uh, I don't know, this next sentence doesn't make sense, but he, you know, impressed his college friends with his accordion skills. Yes. But he could, he could basically play anything by ear. So they would throw, you know, Elton John, he played funeral for a friend on, on the accordion. It was just kind of a kind of a quirky thing that he was known for, but yeah. he was an accomplished musician. Well, Elton, you know, you say Elton John. Elton John is how he learned to play rock music on the accordion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. He he played that album incessantly, and that's how he learned how to play 
you know, rock and roll music on the accordion. So, right. yeah. But um, but he would began to create these parodies, and he would send them in to famed DJ Doctor Demento, yep. who had a radio show that I don't. I think he was probably out of L.A. Um, it was probably in syndication somewhere around here, but I don't remember. Oh, I was. listened to it growing up, so I, I just wasn't aware of it. Oh, okay. No, um, I, I listened to it all the time. He played all sorts of parodies, and Weird Al would, would basically send in demos that he created, and, and Doctor Demento would play them. Yeah. And eventually, you know, Weird Al got enough notoriety. Uh, from Dr. Demento that he got a record contract and was able to um, you know go directly to to the consumers and so I'm gonna I just had to symbolically at least just pick one song and there are a lot of really good ones out there which one but you I, with? I went with I Love Rocky Road really yes okay you don't like that one? No, no, no. I'm, I'm okay. fine with that. I mean, I could have gone right. with with Ricky. I could have gone with uh, my Bologna, Bologna, Bologna. Well, Rick, Ricky's on my alternates, as is another one rides the another, another one, rides one rides the, the bus. bus. Is what really launched his career? So that's it where I, that's where I thought you were going. I went with I Love Rocky Road because it was the first um, when I kind of went back into Weird Al's career. Eat It was the one that I heard first as, as a lot of Gen Xers, but um, kind of when I went back and discovered there was an album before uh, 3D in 3D, uh, this was the one that really stood out to me. So, uh, of course, it's a parody of the Arrows song, I Love Rock and Roll, which was later a smash hit for Joan Jett and the Blackhearts in 81, which we covered on the show. Yes, we did. On the Rock and Roll episode. And uh, in this parody, you know, that's why I say I want to establish a baseline because it's, it's, it's pretty simplistic. Um, not to say it's not brilliant, but it's, it's pretty pretty simplistic. It's basically about a narrator's intense love of ice cream, specifically Rocky Road, and how he keeps it in his locker at school, and how all the soda jerks uh, know his name. So basically, he kind of um, metaphorically makes himself this ice cream junkie, so to speak. Um, but just a, an early example of... Um, where he started. It's also, I wanted to point out, the first and not the only time that we'll see um, Weird Al exhibiting his talent for, and I never knew there was an actual official name for this, manualism. Manualism. Manualism is the fancy term for making fart noises with your hands like we did in elementary school. I did not know there was a name for that. There is actually... (laughs) I looked it up because I was going to talk about it. I th- I, there's got to be a better name than making fart noises with your hands like we did in elementary school, and the term is manualism. Apparently, there are symphonies that people have created <laughs> using manualisms, and I'm like, someday when I have more time, I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, but Okay. Uh, so, again, instead of the, <laughs> the brilliant guitar solo that you hear on Joan Jett's version, you hear the fart noise solo. And so that just... It's it's kind of paving the way for what Weird Al is going to do in the next 45 years. It shows his ability to not only take a song and have fun with it, even if it's a very simplistic theme like Rocky Road Ice Cream, but the fact that he would use all sorts of different instruments, including the accordion, which he even admits he kind of uses a little too much on the first <laughs> couple albums, and he backs away from it a little bit because the accordion yeah. appeared everywhere. But uh, he also finds ways to use um, other types of you know, silly silly sounds um, to um, parody maybe the original guitar or other musical components of a song. Taste spoon, I know what 
just to piggyback on, on what you said, uh, he, yeah, he graduated high school in 75 at age 16, and then he went to, um, he attended California Polytechnic State University uh, for college, where he got his degree in architecture. Um, in 76, the first time, he actually grew up listening to Dr. Domeno. Mm-hmm. Um, Elton John was his favorite musician, which we talked a bit about, but Alan Sherman, Tom Lehrer, Stan Freeberg, I mean, there were a number of huge comedy performers that, that he listened to as well that without question influenced you know the the career path that, that he chose but in 1976 dr demento his real name is barry hansen by the way he actually spoke at the, at the university and al at age 16 and as a college freshman had given him a, a demo tape and um yeah dr demento went back and he played uh the song immediately on on the radio and it it wasn't the greatest of of Al's uh, work. It was actually a song called Plymouth Belvedere, right? right. Uh, which, um, yeah, it it it's it's been long forgotten. But there was enough response from the listening audience that Demento began a, a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't discount uh, Barry Hansen. That's again his name, Barry Hansen's uh, role. In, in launching Al's career enough because then Al the first song that he actually released as a single was My Bologna right um, and he actually met the lead singer of The Knack at a concert uh, when they played at the university and introduced himself as the the performer of My Bologna and The Knack were just thrilled to meet him because they loved his, his parody they were the ones that then went to Capitol Records and said you should give this guy an opportunity to record a single, which he did with My Bologna, but he, he got no royalties from it. it. It was, I think, 500 copies were made. But most famously was Another One Rides the Bus. Right. Because, and again, it's not on my list, so I'm taking a detour here, but it was recorded in an actual studio. It was performed live and recorded live in Dr. Demento's booth, to be precise. But that doesn't mean it isn't... It, that doesn't mean it's high quality, folks. I mean, it, it features Al cranking away on his accordion while drummer drummer John Bermuda Schwartz, whom Yankovic had randomly met in the hallway minutes before recording, bangs out a beat on the accordion case. And the lyrics then turn Queen's Another One Bites the Dust into a, a song about being trapped on a crowded bus. And it's, it's hilarious and relatable, uh, you know, but I, I just, I couldn't bring myself... To include it, I guess, because it's so raw. It, it just, I don't know. I, I like the parodies that sound like the originals. And the accordion to me is just, it's almost painful at times. Uh, to, to which is probably to. why I picked I Love Rocky Road yeah. over another one, Rides which, a Bus. Which is fair, yeah. But yeah, Demento, he was actually like a father figure to Al. He actually uh, fronted the money so Al could record an EP of Another One Rides the Bus. And and that really launched launched his career, so... That's where I thought you were going, and I, I think you, you chose better, frankly, because, yeah, another one rides the bus is painful to hear, but, I mean, it's... I mean, I wanted a baseline, but I wanted a baseline that a little bit right. further. I, I obviously could have gone back further, but I wanted right. to start something that would mix well with the mixtape, and I Love Rocky Road sounds enough like the original that really, I think, is a good place to start. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like I said, I have Ricky on my alternates if we get there, but... Um, okay, well... Then my number two, let's let's get to it. My second song actually comes from the following album. Uh, that would be Dare to be Stupid from 1985. 
And this one is uh, Like a Surgeon, which is a parody of Madonna's, of course, Like a Virgin. Match? No, 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 no not a match. Okay. No. Well, okay. No, my pick from the, I'll just say most album, he has 14 studio albums. We right. had 12 picks. Yeah. So I believe I, I tried to stick for the most part with one song per album. I do have two songs from, from in 3D. So you know what that means is you're going to be ahead of me the entire time. So if we do match, I'm going to have to go to all of my alternate lists. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, for side A anyway. For side A, right. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, like a surgeon. Well, okay. First of all, I love this story. Madonna, I don't know if you knew this, Madonna is the only artist who titled her own parody. Hmm. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. The story goes like this. Walking down the streets of New York, not long after Like a Virgin climbed the charts, Madge said to a friend, how come Weird Al hasn't done Like a Surgeon yet? That conversation was eventually related to Yankovic himself, and he thought it was a grand idea. He ran with the idea. And the resulting ditty about a surgeon fresh out of med school became one of Al's biggest hits. It reached number 47 on the Hot 100, and it was the second single off of his third album, Dare to be Stupid. And it is a staple still to this day of, of his live shows. As a parody of Madonna's hit, Al manages to pull off really one of the most remarkable feats of his career. He makes both surgery and Madonna funny. <laughs> so, and, and the singer was at the peak of her fame when Al parodied her parodied her song and proved that he was scared of nobody's legacy really he goes one step further though to imitate the singer and and he pushes his vocals so high up the range that it almost feels like they can burst with every note now you know al al was the quintessential underdog during the early years in the music business uh he was an accordion playing genius geek goofball in an industry ruled by beautiful pouty men and and women right and he, he was an oddball. He was an eccentric. He was a square peg. He was awkward and manic. He was weird. I mean, he, he called himself Weird Al. That was not a title given to him by, by the label. I mean, that was how he introduced himself. And he was pursuing a, a career path as a professional song parodist that was, if not unprecedented, it was just exceedingly rare. Um, there were many blueprints, there still are, for artists that want to uh, build and sustain a career as a rock musician or a pop artist. Um, there were considerably fewer for people whose life goal was to gently spoof the hits of the day and to keep lampooning those hits until they you know, grow old and, and die. So Al's first two albums, they benefited from modest expectations, right? But by the time his third feature-length album came around, he lost that element of surprise. He'd already gone farther than anyone could have imagined, and by Dare to be Stupid, he had a career to protect and a lot to lose. And he had damn near cracked the top 10 with Eat It, and he picked up a gold and then a later a platinum plaque for N3D. And it also won out the first of his four Grammys and counting again for Eat It. So from a commercial standpoint, Like a Surgeon was this no-brainer for the first single and video. So the formula that he applied to Eat It was, was one and the same with what he did then for the second album. Um, if Eat It was all about how you should enjoy a nosh, then Like a Surgeon was grounded in another perennial in Jewish humor, and, and that would be the doctor joke. Only instead of one doctor joke, Like a Surgeon featured a whole bunch of them, it was a doctor joke song. Um, like Eat It, Like a Surgeon deliberately shoes out in his band and producers uh, generally successful attempts to sound as much like the original as possible, though, because it uses sound effects. Al loves the sound effects. Right. And in this case, hospital noises. 
that betray almost instantly that this is not Madonna's iconic, scorchingly sexy anthem of empowerment, <laughs> but rather a good-natured goof by a man who had already established himself as something approaching rock and pop's official parodist. Um, like a surgeon operates on the principle of, principle of, of escalation, and that, that's true of the sound effects as well. The song begins with what appears to be a reassuring beep of the heart monitor of a patient who at the very least appears to still be alive. That's no longer the case by the end of the song, when that reassuring beep, beep, beep is replaced by the ominous hum of a flatline. And late in the song, Al concedes, it's a fact, I'm a quack, the disgrace of the AMA, because my patients die, yeah, my patients die before they can pay. Now that's a line at least as old as Vaudeville, if not older. And it, again, is, you know, just the, the perfect dad joke. Like a Virgin is such an intensely sexual song that you almost can't spoof it without addressing the ripe sensuality on some level. Part of the humor in Like a Surgeon, though, comes really from the surreal incongruity of an exemplar of awkward male masculinity. I mean, Al emulates at times Madonna's breathy sex kitten delivery, and it's spot on. It's perfect. So this speaks to an interesting quirk in Al's career. He's never been one to limit himself to one gender when choosing artist parody. Um, you know, and, and you're going to see that time and again. What's really interesting about Al, though, is he and Madonna were generational peers. Mm -hmm. And pop music, it belongs to the young. It always has belonged to the young. So really, Al continues to get older, and, and the females that he parodies continue to get younger. And it, it's, you know, it, it's just really interesting to me to see, again, like you said, how the progression Mm -hmm. goes through, the, through the, the 14 albums, which is why I went chronologically. But yeah, like a surgeon, it's just, it's comedy gold. Specifically, I think there was a heart that was kind of got away. Was yeah, it's beating and bouncing, bouncing across off, the yeah. oh. That's that's the image that. And oh, I remember. Oh, just to see him writhe on the the hospital gurneys, you know, right. doing Madonna's little right, right. I, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, essentially on the gun, the gondola uh, of the like a virgin uh, video. He's doing it on a hospital gurney and scrubs. It's it's just it's. Oh, it's awesome. And so. Dare to be Stupid was the first full-length album that I had by Weird Al. Oh, okay. So that was the one where I was introduced to the non-singles. Um, of course, you had Dare to be Stupid itself, uh, but the One More Minute, which is one oh, of the greatest. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> parody, not a parody, greatest humorous songs of all time. Yeah. Well, you know, that entire first side. I mean, that that was 
Well, I'm trying to think. Dare to be Stupid was 85, so I would have been 12. You would have been 13. Um, but, I mean, it, it it was just the perfect side for, for that you know, yeah. that, that age group. I mean, it was because he had like a surgeon, you had dare to be stupid. You had, I want a new duck one more minute. And then Yoda, right? That was side one. And it was just, well, and then we, perfect. there's a third category we haven't talked about just the straight cover. Cause on the second side, he does a straight cover of George of the jungle. Yeah. So it's not a parody. It's not an original. He just sings it as it is. That may be the only one though. Really? He, is I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that he ever did. I mean, obviously, when he does the medleys, he's not parodying them. Right, yeah. He's covering them, usually with a polka right. beat. But George of the Jungle is pretty straightforward. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is it is just, you're right, it's just a cover. But I, that might be the only one he hmm. ever did. I'm not yeah. sure. So, um, yeah, nonetheless, I mean, it's just, dare to be stupid. Well, here's the thing. I think, even though Al has continued to grow professionally and, and to grow as an artist and, and you know, he's continued to, but to output, uh, you know, just incredible, uh, an incredible catalog. I still stand by this. I think in 3D and Dare to Be Stupid are his two best albums. I really do. I think that overwhelmingly, he was young, he was experimental, he was still learning the ropes and still figuring out what he wanted to do. And I, there's just a there's just a youthful vibrance to them that, that you don't find in the later albums. Um, so yeah, Dare to Be Stupid. I, I owned all three. I, I actually I bought in 3D after I heard Eat It, and then went. Uh, I remember going to Camelot several times, waiting to, to for them to actually have the original album, mm-hmm. the first album in stock, which eventually they did. And then I bought Dare to Be Stupid uh, upon its release. I had all three on vinyl, still do. So um, yeah, no, it's it's just. Uh, I don't know. I love those those opening albums from his career. So. Well, I'm going to jump back to um, In 3D. Okay. Because, I'm sorry, we'd be amiss if we did not include Eat It. All right. I was hoping you had it because I, I very deliberately left it off. Not because I thought you'd have it, but because I wanted I Lost on Jeopardy and I was trying not to repeat song, right. to no, repeat we, albums. So. I have to do Eat It. And, 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 and I don't know if I talked about it on the show before or not, but... Um, Eat It is one of those childhood memories that's so vibrant. And if I had not only just memories in general, but also memories specifically of uh, my musical journey. But I just remember it was a Friday night. Friday night, of course, elementary school. We're Generation Xers. I think we were probably fourth or fifth grade about this time. It would have been 1984. And I, you know, sleepovers were Friday nights. You had a friend over, um, maybe two, um, if your mom let you. And you'd watch Dukes of Hazard. Um, you'd get pizza. Uh, that, that was just that was. Those were Friday nights. Every, we look forward every to every Friday night. Yeah. And. We'd mentioned before our local station, Q92. I'm sure every Diddy had a pop station like Q92. And they would play, you know, all the current Top 40 hits. They'd throw a few classics on. And then they would, you know, debut new songs from time to time. And I remember we were sitting there, my friend and I, eating pizza. And, of course, Michael Jackson was huge. We had, we had Thriller. Beat It was, was a huge hit. And all of a sudden, the song came on the radio. And we looked at each other because it sounded like Beat It, but it wasn't Beat It. And we were a little bit confused. And so we, I remember going over to my Radio Shack uh, um, stereo and I turned it up a little bit and we just started to belly laugh. After the shock wore off, because 
Q92 didn't play parody music. We did. We weren't familiar with Dr. Demento. Um, it, it was a shock. It's like, what's going on? This is this is not beat it, but someone singing about eating food, and we laughed and laughed. I mean, on the floor, rolling around, belly laughed to the point where like my mom and dad came out to make sure we were okay. <laughs> Even after the song was over, we were still laughing, and, and I mean, I hurt. I remember just being in pain because I was so tired from laughing, and then. My dad was nice enough to take me to the store that weekend, and I bought the the forty five at Camelot Music, and yeah, that's just that. that, that I just re- clearly remember that because it was such a defining moment. Like, like I said, just a shock. Yeah. Just wasn't prepared for that. It was so funny. It was. Um, like we mentioned before, a lot of the videos are shot for shot remakes. This may have been the first shot for shot remake for the video, where he he basically. Um, takes beat it and um same same sets in some cases same actors and dancers in, in some case that they hired um but of course in a, just in, in a humorous way with sound effects of course like you mentioned oh, yeah. um but uh just yeah so that was a whole other thing then when the video came on it was like oh my gosh um this the song was weird al's first number first top 40 hit yes okay and it made it all the way to number 12 yep. on billboard the song Weird Al song went to number one in Australia, where it outpaced the original by two spots because Beat It only went to number three in Australia. Beat beat It. (laughs) So Eat It, Beat beat It in Australia. Say that five times fast. Yes, I'm not going to. Now, I guess he no longer, at least his last tour, he pulled yeah. not only his Michael Jackson parody for Eat It, but he no longer also plays uh, fat. Bad or Fat, bad, which is yeah. the parody of Bad. Because, you know, since, and we've talked about this on the show as well, the HBO documentary came out a few years ago, um, which kind of aired the extent of a lot of the allegations between Michael Jackson's relationship with young boys. And, you know, it was it was pretty damning. and. I've talked about being uncomfortable sometimes with choosing Michael Jackson on this show, and um, Weird Al felt the same way. He he basically said he's not sure if it's a permanent thing. Um, Maybe more information will come out, but he pulled it from the tour at the time the the documentary came out. So, which is tough because you know, whereas Piano Man to Billy Joel is Eat It, right? To Weird Al, I mean, that was the song that defined him. That was the song that put him in a, a huge superstar. And that's the song I think a lot of people want to hear when they go see him. Oh, but, uh, without question. And we'll talk about, you know, this later on in the broadcast, but Weird Al's obsessed with food. It seems like in yeah. the early days. Uh, and that's another thing when we talk about the evolution of Weird Al, um, a lot of his early work is, is simplistic and sometimes silly. That's not to take away from it. Later on in his career, his lyrics become a, a lot more complex. Oh, yeah. In some cases, actually political. I want to talk about um, next week, 
I never thought Al Weird Al would become political. He kind of eschews all sorts of you know political affiliations early on, but he does get political in his later later albums. But he does. early on, it was just an easy thing for him to choose food. You know, my bologna, as you already mentioned, lasagna, um, and of course, eat it. Oh, there's so many taco grande. Taco grande. Well, I was going uh, with the earlier ones. Oh, the, yes. or the earlier. Yes, okay. but yes, there are many, yeah. many, many more to come as well. So. Oh yeah, no, there's so many. You have to you have to get eat it on there. Yeah. Well, even even um, the theme to Rocky Eight, which is on in three D. Yeah. Um, right. it, instead of Eye of the Tiger, it's the Rye or the, the Kaiser. Rye of the Kaiser. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. There were food songs everywhere. Well, there's even a compilation album called Food Songs. Food songs. Where he features yeah. ten or twelve of them. Yeah. He has the first two compilations he released were uh, one was about food, the other about television. Yeah. And those were his two loves. Really, yeah. those were his muses. Um, yeah. No. I. I uh, I don't have a story to, to tell that, that rivals yours, but Eat It was the first time I heard Where Now. We were actually in the car. I remember that. We were driving in the car, and it came on the radio, and I was in the back seat just dying. I mean, tears coming from my eyes. And my, my dad, he had no idea. I mean, he just didn't understand what I found so funny about it. And I, <laughs> that, that's my dad. But, I mean, yeah, it just... Oh, it, it was revolutionary. It changed popular music for me. Well, maybe so. it's a Gen X thing. Um, my daughter and I have conversations all the time about how you know humor changes, right? Generation. Right. Um, at work, sometimes um, we'll bring in movies to watch during lunch when we eat together. You know, as being teachers, the worst thing, in my opinion, uh, you want that half an hour to kind of be a break from the day. And you will get teachers that all they do is want to, they want to talk about kids. They want to talk about school. I know. I and they're kind of like, nuts. you know, can we just have a half an hour to kind of take a break from students and, and school? And so to combat that, a lot of times we'll, uh, we'll bring in movies and we'll watch movies and we'll just watch them half hour increments and then go to the next one. One year we watched the entire, um, entire series of Seinfeld because really? there are 180 some episodes of Seinfeld and 180 some days of school and it was perfect we'd watch one a day and it was, it was great oh, anyway was great. so we, put, we, we brought in uh, The Naked Gun which you know Gen X classic yeah and our lunch is made up of, of both boomers Xers and of course millennials now and the Xers we're just dying laughing and the millennials are just kind of chewing their food kind of looking at the screen and they just didn't they, they find didn't. it funny didn't get it no wow and now there are certain things that uh, my kids will show me you know on tiktok or whatever and and they just they think it's hilarious and and i just i just don't see it you know yeah. so humor really is a generational thing so it, it, it makes sense that maybe your dad just didn't see the humor yeah he, he just didn't get it and but that was my i didn't have anyone to share the moment with i, I guess is the right thing. right I mean, you had you had friends over i, I was just in the back seat of a car with my father who just didn't see any humor in, in the song so um, not a great story to tell but yeah Ida was my introduction and I just I fell in love with Weird Al's music from that day forward so alright well my next song it actually comes from the first real flop of Al's career and that would be the 1986 album Polka Party um, that one did not do well commercially um the song, though, that I'm going with is, again, the, the opening track. The opening track, I mean, Al has a formula, and the opening track is always the most commercially successful parody right. on the album. So the opening track of Polka Party, folks, is a song called Living with a Hernia. We have another match. Another match. Okay. You're going to run out of four. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? We'll be good. We'll see. Yeah, Living with a Hernia, uh, which was a parody of James Brown's Living in America. Um 
Yeah. Although the the idea for living with a hernia belonged to Yankovic, it was actually his label that insisted that he parody James Brown's original. Um, and living in America, obviously, he came from Rocky IV. Um, so this was the second time we just referenced the Kaiser, the writer, the Kaiser. This is the second time that he parodied a Rocky tune. Um, Al obliged, and he began researching the types of hernias to, to pen the lyrics. So, <laughs> and he lists them all. He lists them all, like uh, James Brown does oh, it, with the cities it in is, America. It is probably the funniest <laughs> bit in anywhere. Incomplete, uh, epigastric, bladder, strangulated, lumbar, Richter's, obstructed, and direct. Yep, I am listed here too. <laughs> it's actually he does it as a call response. Yeah, just, yeah, just oh, like like, uh, this, with like the cities, the cities that James yeah, Brown. Yeah. Does. Oh, it's just it's golden you know not many people can parody james brown and somehow get away with well it. and i have to say james brown i love james brown i respect him but uh, he's he's kind of a parody of himself oh he is yeah hardest man hardest working man in show uh, the whole yeah. you know the whole stage thing the whole you know having the band member put the cape on and help him out you know just yeah he, he, yeah he's a parody of himself and so he, it's a parody of a parody kind it, of it, you're, you're right you're absolutely right um but somehow you know al manages to parody it further and it's just it folks if you have not heard this this particular song and it, it's likely that some of you have not because as i said the album did not do well it, it commercially it did not sell and the song received very little airplay uh but if you've not heard this song before it might well be the best song you'll hear this week i mean it is just it, it's without question one of his most underrated songs and it is just it, it's perfect um you know, I've never really understood why the album didn't sell, though. Uh, perhaps fans simply weren't ready for another surgery-themed spoof so soon after, like a surgeon, or maybe they just weren't prepared for another parody of a Rocky theme song. Well, and it's, it's also kind of, and some of his songs are one-joke songs, and again, that's not a criticism. This is kind of a, a one-joke song in the sense that, like, you know, James Brown sounds like he's in pain when he's singing, and so living with a hernia is perfect. Yeah. Now, if you are familiar with James Brown music, you get the joke. Uh, I could see a lot of uh, excerpts at the time not being familiar with James Brown. And so if you don't get the initial joke, if it's just a song about hernias that sounds like living in America, you know, maybe, I mean, obviously people were familiar with James Brown in the sense that living in America was a hit. So it's not like they had never heard of him before. But just to know his stage antics and I feel good, you know, Weird Al ends the song with I feel bad. I feel bad. Yeah. Right? I, I think you really have to understand the scope of James Brown to really get the joke. And perhaps that's why it wasn't a big hit. Yeah, no, I'd, you bring up a good point. Uh, regardless, I mean, the song is just a weird and wonderful, it's almost a punk rock <laughs> in, its, in its sneering disregard for the demands of the market. I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible. And, of course, we feature Living in America um, on our 4th of July yeah, episode yeah. last season. Yep. Uh, and here's another connection to this season. Do you know who co-wrote Living in America? Dan Hartman, who we talked really? about during the 80s. Um, movie huh. songs episode. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. That's wild. Um, okay, so yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, you know, James Brown, part part of what, part of his stage show was just the physicality in, in what he did, right? I mean, it, the physicality lies in Brown's aggressive in your face sexuality, really. And those grunts and groans and subverbal exhortations, they, they sure sound sexual if you listen to a James Brown number. But they also spoke to how hard he worked and how hard he, you know, he pushed himself in everything that he did. So part of the joke in living with a hernia, folks, is, is 
that, you know, replacing the grunting, uh, you know, visceral delivery of a dancing sex machine, Al replaces them with with the grunting and groaning and shouting, um, not because he feels good, if you will, but because, uh, you know, it's a man suffering from a painful medical condition. I mean, that in itself is just, to me, that that's just... That's the joke. Yeah, that's the yeah, joke. It's, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. And it affords Al an opportunity to return to the tried and true doctor joke that served him so well in Like a Surgeon. For a song about a man who is all in, too in touch with his body, and particularly his body's problems, you know, Al has a wonderfully academic way of viewing the world <laughs> and the vocabulary. You know, you you bring it up. You you listed the the hernias. Maybe one of the reasons it didn't sell so well is because he threw so many SAT words at the listeners. Maybe they were afraid they'd be quizzed at the end of the song. <laughs> I, I don't know, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just wonderfully academic the way that he views the world in the song, and, and the vocabulary is it matches. So, you know, living with a hernia is partially a meditation on James Brown, and since it chronicles a man laid low by an unfortunate bulge in his intestinal wall, it can only real really end that one way, as you said. I feel bad, and and it's just it's the perfect choice for for our playlist for our mixtape. I I love the tune. And hopefully we're introducing it to some people that may not have heard this before. So, Yeah, great. No, that's another match. So I have two. So I'm actually going to go to my alternates list just to kind of keep their chronology somewhat um, set. And so I'm, I'm going to stick with in 3D. So we'll end up having three songs from that album. But like we mentioned, it's a great album. So yeah. could be worse. Um, this is, and again, there's not a lot to say on some, some of these earlier songs because they're pretty simple, but they're great. I'm going to go with the parody of Safety Dance. The Brady Bunch. Yes, the Brady Bunch. You mentioned, of course, um, I mentioned his love of food. You mentioned his love of television. Okay, yep. so here's an example of that. Um, now, I think he realized at some point, so the lyrics of the Brady Bunch um, match. You can actually take the lyrics of the Brady Bunch and, and you can put them to safety dance, which would kind of make it a straight covered sort of because he's not changing the lyrics but it's changing the music so well, I don't know where that a, goes it's a lyrical adaptation lyrical adaptation yeah, correct I, I guess but I think he realized that there wasn't enough for a complete song there and so he begins the song the first half of the song is paying uh, an homage to the classic TV shows that um, exist I don't know for sure but I'm guessing maybe um, different uh, TV shows that he grew up watching as well in fact I think he he mentions over 10 different um, songs are ten different shows, um, and he mentions TV Guide, and so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that out there as my alternate. 
lovely girls All of them had hair of gold Like the mother, the youngest one in curls It's the story of a man named Brady Who was busy with three boys of his own There were four men living all together Yeah, but they were all alone Until the one day, one day When the lady met the fellow And they knew, and they knew It was much more than a hunch That the group, this group Must somehow form a family That's the way, that's the way That's the way they all became The Brady Bunch Well, the Brady Bunch Yeah, the Brady Bunch Well, the Brady Bunch Who's the Brady Bunch? It's the Brady Bunch Oh, the Brady Bunch Yeah! Oh, the Brady Bunch It's the Brady Bunch interesting choice um I, I love it don't get me wrong i just you you picked some real deep tracks i'm i'm, I'm well lo- i'm figure, loving it i'm loving know, it yeah i i have some coming up okay yeah no it's uh yeah so let's throw that in so instead of um i lost on jeopardy i'm gonna go with brady bunch people Very need cool. to hear that yeah they do you know he he's done that before what what your the lyrical adaptation uh for for television no less because mm-hmm. on uh I think it's the UHF. I have nothing from the UHF. I album. do. I do. do so, well. um, yeah, I, I skipped over that one. Not because there's nothing worthwhile. I just it didn't make my my cut. Um, but the Beverly Hillbillies is oh, right, actually right, performed right. as uh, Money for Nothing. Yeah. Okay. And right down to and including the guitar solo. So very similar in, in structure to what he does with the Brady Bunch to the Safety Dance. So yeah, he might even have one or two others, but. Um, and we and we featured safety dance last season on our dance. Was it this season? This season. Is it this, this season? season? Okay, in our dance yeah. episode. All right. Okay. Well, uh, my number four pick. This one comes from the 1988 album Even Worse. <laughs> I love that title because the original, of course, was Michael Jackson's album Bad. Bad. Yeah. Um, you know, after the 1986 disappointment, Polka Party, Al began plotting his comeback, and and for his next album, he played it safe. Because once again, he found inspiration in the hits of Michael Jackson, a former child prodigy with some unfortunate personal idiosyncrasies who helped to give Al his biggest hit, right? I'm going with Fat, of course. Okay. And, you know, Fat had commercial expectations that it needed to fill, and it filled them, filled them splendidly. And with as much inspiration, ingenuity, and personality as the song's conceit would allow, um... Fat did what it needed to do, and and while the the conceit of turning bad into fat is not an elegant or an unexpected one, Al makes it work through a characteristic blend of comic craftsmanship. I mean, and and there's a shamelessness and a full-throated conviction, self-deprecation even, in the way that he he delivers the song. Um, Really, none of the jokes employed in fat are new. In fact, most are very old, and they've been passed down and passed around uh, more than a joint at a dead show, really. I, the the more chins than Chinatown, for example. And that's what's commonly known in the comedy world as a street joke. And a street joke is a joke that everyone has been telling for so long and in so many contexts that no one really knows where it originated or who created it. It's a joke book joke, essentially. And that is not the only street joke in the song. I mean, it is, after all, about a man who brags when I walk out to get my mail, it measures on the Richter scale. And when I go to get my shoes shine, I got to take 
their word, right? Those jokes certainly did not originate inside Al's beautiful brain, but they nevertheless became part of the grand, um, you know, gestalt that makes that, like so many of Al's singles, particularly his parodies, you know, far funnier and more appealing than they have any right to be. And, and what allows fat to transcend the groaningly familiar fat joke, even as it contains its share of groaningly familiar fat jokes, is the swagger that Al brings to the character and, and to the performance. Um, as with Eat It, part of the humor, though, in spoofing a song like Bad lies in the weird uh, incongruity of a guy like Michael Jackson himself with his unique interpretation of masculinity, right? Um, releasing yet another anthem of swaggering tough guy machismo. I mean, just the idea of Michael Jackson as, as a badass in a gang. I mean, that to me is th- that. Well, and, that's a parody unto itself. And that's why going back to the, like the first Michael Jackson parody, the, the reason why the video of Eat It was so funny was because the the Beat It video is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Because they're these street toughs. I mean, you obviously had West Side Story where the you know the gang members were dancing instead of fighting. But this took it to a whole other level where it was ridiculous enough to see Michael Jackson in a street gang. Uh, That's what, you know, I guess there's this kind of like um, um, strange sincerity to beat it that's just so ridiculous. That's what made the video of Eat It so hilarious. And so I think the same thing is happening here. The very idea of Michael Jackson being bad, (laughs) right? right? right. That in itself is just laughable to me to know. And he's the least intimidating and he's obsessed celebrity. with street gangs. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, so, you know, Al's interpretation of masculinity is, masculinity is, is similarly unique, though, uh, if not quite as unique as Jackson's. So the comedy here comes from a white geek getting brash, defiant, and proud, describing not his toughness and affinity for violence, but rather his comically over-the-top copulence, you know, his, his obesity and, and blob-like physique, if you will. And in the end, it's just... it's comedy gold nah. your butt is wide well mine is too nah. just watch your mouth or i'll sit on you nah. the word is out better treat me right because nah. i'm the king of cellulite ham on nah. ham on ham on whole wheat nah. all right nah. my zippers bust my buckles break much man for you to take the pavement cracks when i fall down i've got more chins than chinatown but i never used a phone booth and i never seen my toes when i'm going to the movies i take up seven rows because i'm fat fat i'm fat I didn't want to repeat, I, I didn't want to include both songs, uh, both Michael Jackson parodies. Right. And to me, as much as Eat It, as much as I loved it, and as much, I, it was my introduction to Al, and it was uh, until White and Nerdy, the, the highest charting single of his career, I just think Fat is the better song, if you will. Um, now, I wonder if that can be made today. You know, a lot of Weird Al's music, you know, ages just fine. And I, I'm... I understand a lot of comedians now are kind of pushing back saying, no, wait a minute. 
comedy in of itself is politically incorrect. It always has been. It's always right. pushed the boundaries. Lenny Bruce. Right. So obviously there's a spectrum. There's a line. There's certain certain uh, topics that have always been off topic, right? Always been taboo, even with comedians. Um, there are some that, you know, eventually uh, become acceptable, maybe after a passage of time. And we've passed into a new age of sensitivity, which is not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing that. Um, this, I wonder if this were in the zeitgeist, how that would fit, because there is a lot of sensitivity towards, you know, overweight people and fat phobia, which is a term that's been coined. Right. Um, kind of, um, you know, make, making jest at, at, at not only something in, in a lot of cases people can't um, control or have a difficult um difficulty controlling because of health issues, but because of body positivity, right? We've been into an age where that's one thing I will say about the millennials and especially Gen Z is they're really trying to own up to this fact that we don't all have to look like supermodels on television. So I'm not trying to, I'm glad you picked this and I'm not raining on the song itself. And I, and I think the song is fine. I just wonder if it could be released today. You know, I agree with you, but I think it could if performed by Weird Al Yankovic. Okay. Weird Al, he, you know, audiences, I, he just has this reputation of being such an upstanding, kind, gentle, you know, he's, he's just a stand-up guy. Right. And he gets away with everything that he does. I mean, even th- there are songs that were very obvious missteps. I mean, there are songs where he's made some some bold choices in, in his, you know, lyrics and in his delivery. And, you know, there, there are even, you look at the ethnic songs like lasagna you mm-hmm. mentioned right. I have one coming up uh, here pretty soon Ricky would be another one right. you know with the, the Cuban the very bad Cuban accent um, uh, you know he gets away with all of it because they know that there's no malicious intent at all that he is just you know just, but back then they didn't know well that's true because he was new so that's what I'm saying today if a new artist were to break out and try to parody using true you know ethnic accents or you know fat phobia type type jokes I think they probably wouldn't get no, very far. Well, no, I think you're right. I mean, even worse, though. I mean, you're talking. This is his fifth album, so I mean, he's not. Oh no, no, that at that point, I mean, like, like, especially. I, I think you mentioned, um, and another one's Taco Grande. You mentioned some of the ethnic. Right. I think that even has a less chance of surviving than Fat does today. Well, I, I can tell you that Taco Grande is one that he does not perform live yeah. anymore um, because he he himself just finds it a right. little. Right. over the top right. have you ever seen him live no I have not oh he puts on a hell of a show I saw him one time it was uh, well I know every song has its own set pieces and yeah. costume changes oh, it, and it's, it's hilarious though right. I, do you remember Solomon yeah oh, my yeah. friend Solomon uh-huh. well Solomon talked me into seeing him right after the release of Off the Deep End and I didn't want to go because I as much as I love Weird Al I just thought what does a Weird Al concert right, right. look like right one of the best concerts I have Good. ever been yeah. to. I mean, it was just, it was, I don't think I've laughed that hard at, on any other night of my life. I mean, it was just from, from the moment he took the stage, it was just uproarious. I mean, I, I couldn't stop the belly laughs. And if he ever comes in concert again, I might take Yeah, him. no, I'll go. I, yeah, it, it's, it, I would love to see him again um, because, I mean, yeah, it was just, it was one of those nights that was just magical. So, um but yeah, he performed uh, fat at that at that concert. He actually has a fat suit, right? From the video, right? Yeah, Al. You know, he one of his trademarks was the, the aviator glasses that he wore for so long. Um, eventually, he got uh, 
LASIK surgery, mm-hmm. and he no longer wears the glasses. He still has to wear glasses to wear the fat suit because the prosthetic is attached oh, to, to glasses. Right, right. Um, so he has to put the glasses back on. Um, but yeah, no, it's just I, I don't know. I, I love eat it, but I just I went with fat, and I was hoping you had eat it, which you did. So yeah. we're good. Yeah, yeah. The, the video is another example of kind of a. I don't know if it's shot for shot, but very similar taking place in the subway like Michael Jackson's oh, original. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to Dare to be Stupid. Um, I'm going to now, of course. You, I, be, you better have what I'm hoping you I haven't. Have. I haven't chosen um, all the singles here. I chose a huge single, obviously, with Eat It. Um, Brady Bunch was not a single, as you mentioned, was a deep track. Fingers, uh, fingers crossed. I'm choosing a song that was not a single, but is one of his better known songs. Fingers crossed. And that's Yoda. Thank you. No, I figured. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't pick it. I really I, am. Well, I didn't pick it because A, I was so confident you would have it. And and B, I went with another Star Wars tune later. Oh, okay. Which I didn't choose that Star okay. Wars tune. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. You go. Okay. All right. You go. Uh, it is a parody of uh, the song Lola by the Kinks. Now, we already talked about James Brown and how audiences may not have been familiar with James Brown. I was not familiar at the time with Lola by the Kinks. And so I thought it was kind of an original. Um, or I thought it was original. Because like I said, I bought Dare to be Stupid. And so I realized once I purchased that album that not every single song is a parody. I kind of expected every song to be a parody. And so after One More Minute and Dare to be Stupid, uh, I also, at the time, by the way, thought George of the Jungle was, was an original because okay. I didn't know there was a, a television show in the... Was it late sixties? Yeah, we, yeah, I remember. We yeah, we talked about that um, during the remote. Yes, the remote control episode. Yeah. So here's one. I thought, man, this is this is hilarious because obviously I was a huge Star Wars fan, um, but uh, it's such a catchy song. Of course, later on I figured out, oh yeah, that was a parody of a song called Lola, uh, which in and of itself is somewhat of a novelty song. Well, it is, and one that. Yeah, you talk about songs that, right. well, that would not be released <laughs> That don't today. age well, correct. Lola, Lola would never uh, be released right, in today's right. world. Now, this was a song that um, actually was recorded in 1980 and would have most likely appeared on the In 3D um, album. Well, no, it would have uh, been um, on Weird Al, yeah, the, the first Oh, the album. very, very first one. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right, yeah, because it would have been 19. In fact, I, I don't know if you remember this, but when we were, I don't know if it was this season or last, we were talking about Yoda and I had a senior moment. Um, my memory failed me, and I, I said it was on oh, his that's first right. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to the the we went online because you insisted it was Dare to Be Stupid. Oh yeah, I was right and on that. Which it, it is, but the reason I was thinking the first album is because he recorded this in 1980, right? And he just couldn't get the rights by from Lucas and and the Kinks until 1985. Correct. So. Correct. Yeah, you had a. Uh, it was one thing to get the um, approval from the artist. Right, but in this case, he had to get approval from two different sources, which is unusual. Uh, and George Lucas, we know, of course, has always been extremely protect- protective of his property, yes. and that's what held it up. Is that he had to get? Um, in fact, I think the story went with Ray Davies. He had a really difficult time finally getting a hold of, and well, so both 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 people. Both. It, it took a while. Well, it's it's kind of funny because Ray Davies, when he find my understanding is, I didn't I didn't look up the material recently for for this episode but i i think when he finally ran into ray davies it was by pure accident he, he met him like just incidentally yeah right right and um you know he he asked ray davies you know why he had not given permission that's right and he, to record yoda and no ray davies said no one had ever 
The, the, the music per- publishers turned him down, but didn't ever right. ask him. Ray Davies uh, said he had never heard anything of it and gave Al permission immediately right. on, on just that chance meeting. So, yep. Yeah, and, and as a Star Wars fan, and by the way, it surprises me, though, that it was recorded in 1980, because as we mentioned, in 1980, a lot of his stuff was a little more basic. I Love Rocky Road, another one, Ride to the Bus. This then kind of feels ahead of its time. Yeah. Unless he, re, now it's possible well, he, he re-recorded it he for did. Dare to be Stupid? Yeah, okay. Because originally, okay. It, it actually, the original version was played on the Dr. Demento show okay. often yeah. on the accordion. Okay. All right. Yeah, he, he re-recorded it for Dare to well, be Stupid. Well, that makes sense then, because the this yeah. matches where he's now in kind of that second phase where he has a full band that he he writes with and works with, and, and they do, do a nice job of um, covering the song but not too closely, right? right? Yeah. Um, with with uh, the instrumentation that the song, original song calls for. Yeah, and that's one thing I did kind of think about when I when I listened to this album 85 was that, you know, we, we at this point knew Yoda from two different movies, right? Not only Empire Strikes Back, but also Return of the Jedi. And um, I guess it didn't bother me. I just figured he was just going to focus on the Dagobah stuff from Empire Strikes Back. That's because when it was written, there was no Return of the Jedi. Right. But yes, um, definitely you can see elevated lyrics in this, uh, all sorts of Star Wars jokes. Uh, my favorite... I ended up really being prophetic. At, at the time, I thought it was funny, just kind of like, I think, there, what you mentioned in the song, Rocky Eight or something. Yeah. It's like that uh, airplane joke when uh, he goes into, the, one of the characters in Airplayers, Airplane 2, goes into the gift shop and it says, like, Rocky 16 or something. He's got a, a white beard, you know, right, yeah. because all these sequels were being made at the time. And um, so the line from the song, uh, but I know that, he, of course, he's, he's speaking from Luke Skywalker's um, perspective, but I know I'll be coming back someday I'll be playing this part till I'm old and gray. The long-term contract I had to sign said I'll be making these movies till the end of time. Yep. That all came true in 2017 when Mark Hamill appeared in The Last Jedi, older and gray. Yeah. You know, that line, that and also the the bit about, uh, I know Darth Vader's really got you annoyed, but remember if, <laughs> if you, you kill him, him you'll be unemployed. be unemployed. Right, right. That, for whatever reason, when I first heard Yoda, and I knew I knew the song from the Dr. Demento show before it was released on an album, um, but I, that was like a red pill moment for me <laughs> because I didn't, I, I had never understood really that, you know, the, the, the commercial and the, the just the, the, the inner workings, the business model of Hollywood. So, yeah, that was, in my mind, it, well, it blew my mind because... I, I guess when I was younger, I just thought, who wouldn't want to be an actor? I would volunteer my time to be an actor. Right, right, you know? right, right. So, yeah, but I, yeah, he he was old and gray. But it does <laughs> kind of yeah, break that, that fourth wall, and he kind of goes from the perspective specifically of Luke Skywalker and then goes into kind of Mark Hamill's right. head there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, um, I, I don't know that I ever would have thought back in 1985 that in 2017 Mark Hamill would continue to play um, his role of Luke Skywalker, so... Yeah, yeah, but I had to choose that one. In fact, um, you know, if I have to pick a, a favorite Weird Al song um, with, like, you know, I could pick a favorite this kind of song or a favorite that kind of song and all sorts of different qualifiers. But just overall, this might be at least top five, if not number one for me. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah Where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda S-O-D-A soda I saw the little wren sitting there on a log I asked him his name and in a raspy voice he said Yoda, Y-O-D-A Yoda Yo, 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 Yoda Laughing around but I ain't ever seen A guy who looks 
it's definitely top ten for me. I just I, I was taking a chance. You've you've talked about Yoda a number of times on the podcast. Oh, have I? Okay. Well, so I just I figured I was safe to leave it off, and I really wanted to go with Saga Saga Begins, which comes up later next week. Um, but yeah, no, I'm so glad. You and I didn't it. choose Saga Begins because I knew you would have it. Really. Oh, American Pie, is that what you were thinking? No, I just, I just figured you would. Oh, okay. I, 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 the song always annoyed me because I never liked the title. I always thought he could have come up with a better title. Yeah, I'll give you that, but that's next week. We'll talk about <laughs> it next week. All right, your turn. You're number five. All right, my number five. I went with a song that parodies not one, but two songs by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And that, folks, comes from the 1993, we're in the 90s now, the 1993 album Alpalooza. And the song is Bedrock Anthem. Okay. Now, Bedrock Anthem, it represents one of Al's time-warped pop culture mashups, right? In this case, Al is cross-pollinating yet another fixtures of 1960s television camp, the mythology of the Flintstones, you know, the prehistoric honeymooners who reemerged in a big way in 1994 as the stars of a terrible and much-forgotten film that nonetheless was obscenely successful um, with with the nonsensical but aggressive and aggressively libidinal funk punk of of uh, California jokesters Red Hot Chili Peppers um, you know Al has written so many songs about television that there's an entire compilation as we talked about devoted just to them and these songs tend to fall into certain templates there are songs that describe the premises of various TV shows there are songs about how the protagonist hates particular TV shows. That would be the Brady Bunch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there are songs about people unhealthily and pathologically obsessed with TV shows. It's always one of the three. Bedrock Anthem is sung from the point of view of someone who loves the Flintstones to the point where they desperately want to live inside its world. And the comic conceit behind the song is is just the intensity and masculine aggression of house delivery. Um, Anthony Kiedis, uh, his delivery, particularly on Give It Away, makes just about everything he sings sound a bit like gibberish, honestly. If anything, Yabba Dabba Do would be an unusually coherent lyric from Kiedis. And I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers, don't get me wrong. But, you know, in the, in the VH1 Weird Al Yankovic behind the story, Flea complains of Bedrock Anthem. And, and he says, quote, I didn't think it was very good. I enjoy Weird Al's things, but I found it unimaginative. It wasn't that great. Yabba Dabba Do? I like Weird Al and everything, but, you know, everyone is hit or miss, except for me, of course. That, that's a quote from Flea, which, which always struck me as unnecessarily snarky, kind of. But, but the best part of Bedrock Anthem, the best part might, well, I can see it. It's probably the perfect blending of not one, but the two songs combined. Um, but my inner child says that the best part is how much information about the Flintstones Al is able to cram into a single song. I was a Hanna Barbera nut. Was, was this around the same time that the movie with John Goodman yeah. was released? Yeah, that, that's what I was referencing. Okay, okay. In fact, this actually made it into the movie. That's what I was wondering if it was made for the movie. Well, I, you know, that I don't know. I didn't go that far in my research. I don't know that it was made for it or if it was made and then just used in. Okay. But regardless, it's it's in the film. Because somehow in my mind, I had a connection between the two, and I have a very negative. Um, uh, memory of the movie. Oh, the movie is awful. And so maybe I unfairly have a negative view of the song itself. Okay. So. Yeah, well, I can tell you that the song was released on Alpalooza in 93, 
and the Flintstones movie came out in 94. Okay, all right. Which is why I think that it may have been just used in the film as opposed to written for because it was released on his own album a full year before the movie was right, released. Right. Um, yeah, that movie, who in their right mind would cast... He had a great cast, though. Well, it, it, well, Rick Moranis, you had yeah. Elizabeth Perkins, you had John Goodman, and then you Rosie had O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell, but who in their right mind would cast Rosie O'Donnell as Betty Rubble? Yeah, that probably was Betty's, the weakest. Betty is supposed. Choice. I mean, she's yeah, anyway, <laughs> whatever. Um, but no, I was a huge Hanna Barbera nut. Still, am a huge Hanna Barbera nut. And you know, growing up in the, in the the mid to late seventies and then into the early eighties, Saturday mornings were all about Hanna Barbera for me, which anybody who listened to our remote control episode could could readily see. So I loved the Flintstones. And of course, the Flintstones, they, they were there were iterations of the Flintstones on Saturday morning that we watched. Sure. But they were also on syndication every day when we came home from school. The originals, yeah. 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 So I mean, I just, I loved the Flintstones. And the fact that Al has an entire song dedicated to them and that, that he splices the the actual oh, yeah. sound sense. bites from the cartoon. I'm, you know, is this one of Al's most brilliant parodies? Not by a long shot. I mean, it, he has far better. But for me, it's definitely one of the most fun. I, I just, I, this is one that I love singing along to, and I never grow tired of. And it probably is just because of my my love for, you know, vintage cartoons. Um, but yeah, I had to include it. Love Bedrock Anthem. Sometimes I feel like I need a vacation Sometimes I feel like I wanna go To the city of cavemen The city of bedrock I'd be a Flintstone Now I'll tell you why I haven't listened to that probably since 93, so okay. to go back and revisit Yabba it. do. All right, so I'm going to now have to choose a song from my alternate list because of you uh, having chosen, what did you choose that I had also? Living with a Hernia. Yes, Living with a Hernia. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm behind you a little bit. This is good because it looks like we won't have any matches if I stay this far behind yeah, because I know. We only have one more song this week, so. But it looks like I'm staying, I mean, you're already up to Alapalooza. I have like three or four songs before the Alapalooza album ever comes out. So okay. Fair it looks enough. like I'm a little on the earlier part of the career and you may be a little bit on his later okay. career. Uh, I'm going to go, <laughs> um, this is from, now I'm up to, to even worse, um, from 1988. 
and we, we talked about Living with a Hernia is kind of a one joke song this is a perfect example of a one joke song and that is uh, this song is just six words long it's on my alternates list <laughs> that was the first one I was going to include if I hit my alternates gotcha. list so you, <laughs> right. just, you just you did it for me it's a parody of I Got My Mindset on You by Ruby Clark in 1962 which of course is later a huge hit for Gen Xers um, for when, uh, George Harrison in 1987 yes. and I remember that was the joke at the time is that it's so repetitive and at the time I didn't know it was a cover and I'm thinking come on George Harrison you're a Beatle you've written these incredible lyrics for other songs let's uh, let's change it up a little bit here yep. but of course uh, it is a cover um, but in, in this parody itself is very simple but it, it needs to be simple to for the joke to work um, it's, it's almost as repetitive actually the original song only has 42 unique words the parody uses 99 yeah um, yeah, there are more than six, regardless. <laughs> well, this, so, the, yeah, the, right, yeah, the so, chorus line yeah. has, has six. Um, the narrator in stream of consciousness style basically writes the song on the fly while singing it, uh, but does so for the money that he will be paid to sing it. And so uh, it is only fitting, since the song is um, so simple, I'm going to keep my explanation to a minimum as well. first alternate I was going to name if I went to my alternates list so you just you did you did my work for me on that one and it, it is you know that is as meta I would say it's probably as meta as Al has ever gotten sure yeah I, it just it's brilliant so and I'm not going to extrapolate either but um, yeah no I'm yay it made the list <laughs> <laughs> uh, I almost went with that over fat for even worse came real I kept going back and forth so they're both on there. I, I had it originally, and then when I got to some of his later um, albums, I realized I wanted to include a few, so it got bumped to my alternates list. Okay. Same thing happened here. I, yeah. I chose Fat. So, All right, so my number six song, uh, for my, my last song for this week's episode, is one of the biggest and most dramatic songs of his career. It features a Luddite anthem that sparked what rap historians have unanimously hailed as the biggest, most important, and confusingly enough, deadly hip-hop beef ever, easily surpassing Tupac and Biggie. And I'm talking about Weird Al Yankovic versus Coolio. Okay. Uh, the song is a spoof of Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise from the soundtrack to Dangerous Minds. And at the time, just about everyone thought it was funny, except Coolio. <laughs> so <laughs> the song is Amish Paradise. Um, which, which I'm just going to interject real quick to say is um, of, of two, the two most brilliant genius moments in Weird Al's career, this is one of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is, yep, yeah, it is. I stand by it. It's the funniest song he's ever recorded. And, and the video, the video is, is so funny to this day. I, I watch it and laugh. Like, yeah. It, yeah. So I'm going to let you talk about the song, but this to me is a, a perfect 10. 
And we don't have a match on it? Oh, we do, but not till next week. Oh, okay. But there's your third alternate. But there's a match, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. You might be at all. No, I'm not going to be. At <laughs> I was hoping there'd be one more match because there are, there is one on my alternates list that I really okay, want to feature. Fair enough. So. Well, Coolio, it turns out, did not want Al making a parody of the hit song Gangsta's Paradise, but Al mistakenly heard that Coolio had approved, heard that from the record label, from the publisher, and uh, he went ahead and released Amish Paradise. Uh, it was the lead single off Al's 1996 album Bad Hair Day, and it ended up hitting number 53 on the Hot 100. For whatever reason, I was surprised by that number. I thought that it hit much higher, but in fact, no, it was just number 53. Um, I, I think maybe at this point, 96. Now I'm trying to think where we were with the internet. Because the video was was really huge, as a lot of his videos are. Right. I'm wondering at the time if if people were watching, but YouTube had not come out yet. No, and not yet. Video no. streaming really wasn't quite a thing. So, but it was played a lot on. It was everywhere on cable. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, when I looked it up and it said 53, I did a double take because I th- I really thought it was a top 40 hit, but it was not. Um, but when it was released, when it hit number 53, when it charted, that's when Al found out that Coolio was not actually Coolio with the spoof. So, um, in fact, he, he went on to bash Weird Al to the press, and he said that Al did the song without his permission. It, was re- it really was the closest thing to a scandal in all of Al's recording history. Uh, though a couple years later, the artist patched up the miscommunication, and Coolio changed his mind. Um, he even went so far, I mean, he backpedaled significantly, he even went so far as to say that he loved the song. So, he made peace with Al, many years ago but the controversy lives on every time VH1 shows behind the music right for, for right. Yankovic um, you know Gangsta's Paradise I gotta talk about the original it, it wasn't just a hit song it was a phenomenon and it was the most popular song of the year it, it sold nearly 6 million copies worldwide well and it wasn't quite a cover but it's it's, it's based heavily it, on Stevie Wonder's yeah very heavily on Stevie yeah. um, Pastime Paradise yes I, you know it's the it's it was just as successful critically, um, topping the Paz and Jop pool. But as successful as the song was, the video might have made it an even bigger hit. I mean, certainly left an impression. The video for uh, Coolio? For was Coolio. it based on the Dangerous Minds? Yeah, yeah. It was, Don't clip. It's an oft mock... It's an often mocked video. Oh, that's right, because um, Michelle Pfeiffer appears in the video, but yes. not from a film clip. She's actually Correct. in the video. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, it, it, as you said, it, it finds the Dangerous Mind star reprising her role as a white savior of a teacher being schooled in the bleak realities of life in the ghetto by soulful urban bard Coolio. So, by the end of the song, you really see that Pfeiffer's character now grasps that hip-hop truly is the poetry of the streets, and, and that if you really think about it... Um, you know, it 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 really makes things. Uh, it really makes you see things differently if you if you look at that way. I mean, really, Shakespeare. You could argue is the first rapper in many respects. Gangsta's Paradise. I mean, it, it has the power and scope of a great gospel song, and and that is in part coming from Stevie Wonder's original. And Al drew upon this with his parody of Gangsta's Paradise by making the song explicitly about religion. Um. You know, Coolio took us to church on Gangsta's Paradise before Al took the singularly soaring sonic bed and made it the basis of an extended Amish joke. Amish Paradise is the original white and nerdy anthem, okay, long before he decided to uh, to parody Chameleon Air. I mean, Amish Paradise is, 
It is. It's the original white and nerdy anthem. And you didn't have to worry about offending the Amish because they have no way of hearing it. Right, which, which, <laughs> which was really funny because so many people were so upset. I remember this at the time. So many people were so upset with the song because they were – they were just, how could you do this? What What is the Amish reaction going to be? And I remember thinking to, my, yeah, thinking to myself, their reaction will be nothing. Yeah. And you could make the argument when, when the young Amish, uh, Amish. <laughs> you can make the argument when, when you know, the younger, the younger Amish leave home during that period where they get to explore uh, right. the, the the material, the consumer world, I guess, um, that they might hear it at that time, but you know, if they're offended, that's only going to drive them back to, to choose the, the Amish way of life. So in, in many ways, yeah, I, I just never understood how people felt that it would be so offensive to the Amish. I mean, you bring up a good point. It's hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, it, again, you know, it's a tribute to the simple life and, and you know, it's, it's humility delivered through one of the, the least simple, humble vessels imaginable. I mean, it's just a melodramatic rap song. Uh, the incongruous comic juxtaposition of hip-hop arrogance and attitude and really old-time religion fuels the song comedically, uh, but on a larger level. It's, it's about the arrogance and hypocrisy of the faithful. And he's making a political statement. And uh, yes, politics and religion should not mix, but they do. And he's making a statement here that, that extends far beyond the Amish. At least that's how I always viewed it. But he uses the Amish as, you know, the, the vessel to to tell that to tell that joke and to make that statement. The plainly dressed crooner boasts of his Christ like ability to literally turn the other cheek after a non Luddite kicks him in the posterior, but he even goes so far as to say he wished the impertinent youngster well. But his actions are the antithesis of selfless as he can't help but brag, I'll be laughing my head off when he's burning in hell. And, and that, that line, by the way, um, I want to point something out. Not only is it in, in construction, in the words themselves, brilliant, but the way he delivers this line in character yeah. of the narrator, it shows you that Weird Al not only can write a great parody, but he can deliver yeah. a great parody. Time and again. And, and of course, you know, that same Mennonite flow mastery then brags of his humility, right? Think you're really righteous? Think you're pure in heart? Well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art. Right. So, you know, and the, the Luddite antagonizing the listener is devoid of true humility, of course. And his piousness really has a very specific purpose to win him a cushy seat alongside the Lord up in heaven for eternity, while all of the TV-watching, modern, convenience-dependent Philistines around him are roasting in the flames of hell. So it, it's kind of a... You know, that there's just so much here to unpack, and and Al does it so well. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline. Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine, then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. A churn butter once or twice living in an Amish paradise. It's hard work and sacrifice living in an Amish paradise. 
singer draws a direct line between his ostentatious ostentatious godliness on earth and the privileged place in paradise when he brags, I'm the pious guy the little omelets want to be like. Little omelets? Yeah, that's what he says, the omelets. Really? Yeah, it's the lyric. Oh, spelled A. A M. Omelets. Okay. Yeah, omelets. I'm, Hearing it phonetically, I'm thinking of eggs. Oh, yeah, no. Okay. I'm, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the pious guy the little omelets want to be like on my knees day and night scoring points for the afterlife. Um, he might need those points in the afterlife because you probably have ascertained by this point this Amish gentleman is a bit of an overly aggressive creep. <laughs> but Amish paradise takes on the arrogance and hypocrisy of, of the righteous in general, but the Amish in particular. And satirists are invariably granted more comic leeway. We were just talking about you know, what could or could not be released today. This could be released because, again, the Amish are not listening to the music. But, um, you know, comedians are always given leeway to lampoon their own faiths and cultures. And obviously, Al is an Amish. So there, there are definitely moments throughout the song where Al either pushes the boundaries of good taste or even exceeds them, which is kind of surprising given how cautious and careful he's been in every facet of his career. Um, and unsurprisingly, the, you know, given the song's title and conceit and also, you know, the comedy often involves making fun of people, um, you know, the, the song was well-loved and, and he, again, was forgiven because, again, he's just... It's weird out. Everyone knows that there's no malicious intent, like I said. Um, so, I don't know. It's just the perfect song, and I stand by this. It's it's the funniest song that he ever well, recorded. I, I remember thinking, no, see, we live in, in, in Northeast Ohio, and um, we're Northeast Ohio is one or two, maybe three of the top Amish populations in the United States. Of course, right. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, was huge and, and our area is, is huge with that and so um, it's not uncommon for us in rural areas not too many miles from our home to see a horse and buggy go by um, I would I thought at the time I wonder if the rest of the country is going to get a lot of these jokes but then I remembered it, it was 10 years earlier or 11 years earlier when Witness came out but yeah people that saw Witness love, love that movie. doesn't matter where you're from if you've seen Witness which most Americans had at the time um, then all these jokes are going to land yeah no absolutely what an amazing like especially the joke when or the the joke about you know I wish him well comes back to that scene um, in Witness when Harrison Ford who obviously is undercover as an Amish gentleman um, the the, what the the English they call them right right yeah takes his ice cream and and puts his nose in it and of course Harrison Ford wants to yeah John Book to beat him down he's ready to go after (laughs) him and he can't because he has to stay in character and so that ties directly to the idea of this Amish being uh, uh, you know, very forgiving and yep. meek, uh, and yet the narrator gives us a glimpse in his head of what he's really thinking. So. Yeah, no, love that movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, Amish Paradise—it's just ultimately too silly to be offensive, regardless. And uh, when he was still angry about a parody that nevertheless poured royalty cash into his bank, Coolio complained that the parody was disrespectful um, toward the Amish. But more importantly, he complained that it was disrespectful um, toward the his own song that meant quote-unquote something. And, and that was true. I mean, both Stevie Wonder and Coolio's songs weren't just socially conscious and ambitious lyrically. They, they sounded important because they were important and they remain important. And, and they sounded like songs that mattered and that were about something. Um, you know, a lot of the songs now choose to, to spoof or, or goofy fun. You know, like uh, the song's just six words long or I Lost on Jeopardy earlier in the episode. Um, 
but but sometimes he chooses something like Gangsta's Paradise that is important, and that does have an unmistakable emotional sonic heft um, that he undercuts by making the substantive and somber superficial and silly. It can be easy to forget how massive Gangsta's Paradise was. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it was the top selling single of '95, and although Amish Paradise is huge in terms of Al's career. Uh, and it took up a lot of space culturally. It never rose higher than number 53, you know, when you went placed side by side. Um, but yeah, man, what an incredible, incredible song. Funniest he's ever written, and just that's how I am. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the high point, I think, yeah. or one of them. Uh, it also, also kind of represents his, not that he hasn't done it before, because he has, but he really begins to pull in the zeitgeist of the time pop culturally. Uh, for instance, in one line where he talks about getting medieval on your hiney, of course, is a reference to Pulp Fiction. Right. And so you start to really see, and that's when I, when I kind of going back and listening to these songs, I realize it's it's a time capsule. When you listen to Weird Al, you are listening to a a, a musical time capsule of events and terms, idioms of of that time period, and that's a perfect example of it. Yeah. So yeah, his, his parody was nowhere near as successful as the song that inspired it, but you know, today it sure feels like the two songs are just equally well remembered I mean I just I was so surprised to find out it only hit number 53 um, so yeah Coolio might have won the sales battle but by a decisive margin but Al won the war well and you mentioned something else that's so. interesting too that the people he parodied also shared the revenue yeah and again not being an attorney a copyright attorney I don't know when, when it comes to First Amendment and parody, and is that just lyrically, or does that include the, the music? Because how do you parody the music? The music isn't being parodied, it's the lyrics. So my assumption was always that he needed to get permission to use um, the, the music, even though he could parody the whatever. My point is this. Um, from what I've been able to, to tell, every time he has parodied an artist, that artist has gotten an, up to at least half, sometimes half, of the revenue earned from that particular song. And so it did seem a little bit disingenuous to me that Coolio would complain about it and yet cash uh, cash the checks as they came in. Right. I, you know, I, I don't know. You'd have to get the royalties for the music. I mean, because it's it's like sampling in, in a hip-hop song, you know, when you sample uh, a musical piece. So yeah, but then in Family Guy, you see them, you know, and oftentimes parodying the song itself using music, and I don't know that they True. share revenue. They, maybe they do, but, I don't but know. But Family Guy, like like our episode, I mean, we're doing it, you know, for an informative, you know, commentary. Family Guy only gives you a snippet of the song. That's You're true. talking mm-hmm. here about Weird Al taking using the, the entire music, word, right. the entirety of, of a song, and just changing the lyric. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm far from a I'm lawyer, sure it's complicated. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yep. I'll be going to my third alternate, but I'm going to wait and do that next week. Fair enough. So I have the last um, song of the episode, and um, you mentioned you didn't have anything off the UHF album, so I'm going to choose something. The UHF album, and this is going to kind of feed nicely into my first pick next week, okay, because there was a time when Weird Al was kind of on the rocks commercially. Yes. And, and and when UHF came out, it was tied into a movie. And it was a movie that's, that had a, a good cast. Michael Richards was in it before he was Kramer, but Victoria Jackson, I mean, I forget who else was in the film. Um, but it was not well-received. It was, it, was, it was a flop, and the album itself was a flop, and um, commercially. But I still think there were some gems on the record. And I'm going to go with, any guess? Uh... Trying to remember everything that was on. I remember Isle thing. <laughs> um, I honestly, I can't. I can't. I'm drawing a blank. I'm going this. with spam. 
Another oh, food. R-E- the R.E.M. As an R.E.M. fan, yeah. I've always loved this. It's a parody of R.E.M. Stand. and um, I forgot that was UHF. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And, you know, strangely, this is not the first time or the only time that Weird Al would talk about spam. Uh, later on in his food medley, uh, he features a parody of Hall & Oates' Maneater, aptly titled Spam Eater. <laughs> spam is such a strange... I remember as a kid, my grandmother, um, for Christmas, while well, I'm opening Christmas gifts from my grandmother, and... And she gave me a can of Spam. Did she really? As a joke. Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and I look back now, I'm wow. thinking, well, it's probably a joke for everyone else's expense. Because I remember opening up, not even knowing what Spam was. And I'm like, first of all, this is, I mean, I'm a kid. I want a toy. I don't even know what, why are you giving me a food item? But I didn't understand the food item in and of itself was a joke. Right. And so probably everybody else was laughing at my expense because of the bewildered look on my face. But I always remember, I've never had it, by the way. I've never actually I have eaten ne- I have never tasted spam. it, and I never intend to taste There's it. There's all sorts of recipes, I guess, out there. You and I'm can... a Monty Python fan, but I'm still <laughs> not going to touch Spam. And just, you open that can, it just looks, it yes. looks like something that should not be digested. Yes, so. I I have my mom used to like ham uh, is it ham salad which maybe is very close but you get that at the deli at least it's fresh so who knows what yeah I, what what yeah so if you're a spam fan out there let us know maybe you know yeah. you can convince us let to us try it let us know what it tastes like convince us to be, oh you're bold it's a bold <laughs> statement <laughs> like uh, like many Weird Al songs it's not always the cleverness of the lyrics but sometimes it's the sheer ridiculousness of the lyrics and this was a great example okay so you know if you know the original song stand and and there are somewhat um, instructions in the song um, he takes it to if you're running low go to the store carry some money to help you buy more the tab is going to open the can the can is there to hold in the spam and so it's just a great great knock off of of Stipe's lyrics there Now, I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm, I'm just going to kind of spoil it since I have first pick. The, the next song I'm going to talk about, which is the first song of the next episode next week, is his big comeback. It's the revival of his career. Good, because I left that one off the list as it's well. It's the revival of his career. And there's a, there's a really cool story that goes along with that, which I've alluded to in past episodes. Um, but I will say uh, this part of it. We mentioned when he decided to parody Nirvana, which was his big comeback, he got permission from uh, Kurt Cobain. And Kurt asked him famously if it was going to be about food, yes. <laughs> which, of course, yeah. so many songs as we mentioned already in this episode are about food and um we talked about the food album i actually listed some we talked about lasagna there's addicted to spuds yeah which is the robert palmer That's parody party. Yeah. um my bologna taco grande which i mentioned riley kaiser which you mentioned so um yeah and it's it's on spotify the actually the food album yeah. so if you're interested uh, check th- it out you know there are more as well i can't well I later can't on at past the food album, like there's the white stuff 
um, right. about Oreos. Um, well, just living in living in the fridge. Living in the fridge, which was <laughs> on know? my uh, alternates for a while. I ended up dropping it, but yeah, I um. No, I mean, he loved his food. I, I actually, I only have one food song, which comes up near the end, and it is not in the same. Well, you could argue "Fat," I guess, was a food song in some respects. But the only food song I have comes near the end of my list, and it is not in the same context at all. So, um, right now we have "Spam" and "I Love Rocky Road." You gave us both of them. Now I know you. I know you didn't pick "Smells Like Nirvana" because that's on off the deep end, which you skipped that album yeah, entirely. Yeah, I skipped. So. Yeah, I did not include anything off on on. Off but that the was his big end. comeback, and we'll talk more about that next week so yeah folks that's our side A of our Weird Al Artist Spotlight anything else you want to add Uh, no I'm just I'm looking forward to next week already Um, we do have to give a shout out to our sponsor Jay Callahan Painting Uh, look her up on social media if you are here in Northeast Ohio she will service your painting needs and she does a killer job Uh, can't go wrong let her know that Dave and Al sent you um, but otherwise, yeah, just looking forward to, to side B, seeing uh, what songs you've chosen and if if I'm going to allow you to get to alternate number four. I don't mm-hmm. think, yeah, you're right, I don't think I'm going to get to my alternates. Although you have already named, I realize now, you've already named two because I didn't, I forgot, Yoda is one of my alternates. Okay. So you've given, you've, you've already covered Yoda and... Uh, this song's just six words. Has there ever been an episode where one of us did not have to go to our alternates list? I don't think there has been. I believe the I believe the rock and roll. Ep- did you go to your alternates uh, list for the even, first one? Back? I can't remember. I had for I, breakfast yesterday. I yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's not often. We almost always yeah. have to go to the alternates. I like keeping it four. I like to live dangerously. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. Um, if I don't get to mine, that's you know no great loss, but. Um, because my alternates from start to finish are just there. I I chose overwhelmingly what I thought were the the best songs for my twelve um, that had stories attached. It was really gotcha. important to me that the songs had stories yeah. attached. My my alternates are all just favorite songs that I did not include in the twelve. So yeah, it was Ricky Yoda. The song's just six words long, um, and then after that, three more that are on albums we've not yet discussed. So all right. we'll, we shall see. All right, well, that's all for this week. Hot, funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side.